Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I am one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by, not forgetting it this time, our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing? You know, it's it's a little easier to remember when we don't take a month off between episodes. Correct. So I'm Correct. glad to I'm glad to be back to our normal schedule at least for two episodes. We're back to our normal schedule till something happens we, and you know, we haven't had a bunch of just random hiatuses or anything like that. It's it's uncommon for us to miss like we did, so that's all right. We should be able to get back for a while until I don't know, maybe the Christmas times or whatever. This week there was a real temptation probably for both of us with funerals and classes and other things just happening. So I thought about but we're it. We're here and we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about, I thought about just about saying it. let's do it next week, but here we are. No, we're we're committed this week. We're going to make it happen, and I'm glad we are because we've got a very good topic coming to you today. We'll talk about that in <laughs> just a moment. Uh, but if you have any comments, thoughts on this episode, maybe you have some topics or questions you want us to address in some future episodes, you can send those to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com, and we'll check those out and uh, get back to you. Uh, today's episode is... Uh, continuing a, a a theme that we've been on, I say continuing, it kind of, it, it branched off of some of the other topics that we've been dealing with recently. We did atonement a few episodes ago uh, and talked about Jesus being fully human, Jesus being fully God, uh, and before we moved on to some of these other episodes, we stopped and went, well, probably ought to talk about the Trinity here. Uh, the title of our notes, which will probably be the title of this episode because it's pretty good, though I, I think there might need to be one change, Spencer, <laughs> uh, a brief and quote-unquote simple theology of the Trinity. Uh, my change would be that a brief should probably also have quotes. Well, br- yeah, brief, br- and brief is relative <laughs> yes, compared to how long we could make a discussion of the Trinity, um, if we really wanted to, and yeah. <laughs> and w- we may. There's, I don't know. We we've got a. I guess we've got two episodes right now in the docket that we're w- waiting to get to until we've yes. covered enough to actually talk about them. And next episode we may get there. There's one more thing we may have to talk about in between. I haven't decided yet, but. We just kind of keep... We are only going to do this one probably on the Trinity. We can't do two. We'd have to do three and then say it was three episodes, but also one episode about the Trinity. That we could might do that. be Yeah, that'll be a funnier later for all of you at home after we talk about the Trinity for a little bit. Uh, there are... Uh, we again going back to the simple. Uh, this is not an easy discussion to have. It's a discussion that has existed for quite some time, and there are thoughts. There have been attempted explanations, and all of that. Uh, we're not claiming uh, to. Well, here you go. We're going to settle it once and for all. But we're going to 
uh, going to deal with the difficulty of the discussion and try to, as best we can, uh, present it in a, a simplified way, at least a way that is uh, good enough to be able to understand it uh, as we get back to some of these atonement things uh, here in, in future episodes. Spencer, you want to start out uh, by talking about the difficulty in speaking about this. Uh, why exactly is it so difficult uh, for us to have conversations or uh, thoughts about uh, the Trinity? Yeah, so I, I think the, the Trinity may be the most difficult uh, theological, biblical concept for us to talk about. And that's one of the reasons, at least in our notes, I entitled it A Brief and Simple Theology of the Trinity because I wanted to try to make the title say what we're talking about, to know, you know, this episode is about the Trinity with it being uh, the least scary as it could be to get people to actually take time to listen to it, think that you can understand it, because when uh, you start talking you. about the, the Trinity, <laughs> I mean... We, we, we we understand that we believe in the trinity that people that christians shouldn't have always believed in the trinity but uh it, it starts to be scary when you start talking about it cuz we understand how complex it can get how difficult it can be and there's a lot of reasons for that but i think there's two primary reasons the first being that the doctrine of the trinity is not explicitly developed in scripture which makes it a little bit more difficult to talk about. There's other topics that you can easily turn to a passage or a couple of passages where that topic is directly addressed in Scripture, which doesn't necessarily sure. make it easy to talk about that topic, but it makes it a little bit easier than something like the Trinity that is not anywhere explicitly developed in Scripture. I like to compare the way that Scripture talks about the Trinity to baking a cake. At least for me, that's the easiest way to think about it. Uh, scripture provides us with the raw ingredients of the Trinity. However, we have to pull this information. We have to pull these ingredients together and, if you will, stick it into the oven and let it bake. Right? You can have the ingredients of a cake. You can have flour. Uh, you can have eggs. You can have milk. You can have all the different things that you need. That doesn't mean you have a cake, right? Just because you have the ingredients. You have to eventually pull those ingredients together, you have to mix them together, you have to stick it into the oven, let it bake, and then you finally get the cake. At least in my mind, that's kind of the way Scripture works regarding the Trinity. We have the ingredients in Scripture, but Scripture doesn't mix them together and stick it in the oven and let it bake, if you will. We have to do that, which makes it difficult. Some of the evidence that we get, some of those ingredients for the Trinity, that maybe even come to your mind... Uh, is when you start speaking of God's threeness, God being Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, we see that throughout Scripture. In my mind, the best place we see that is at Jesus' baptism, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, you have the Son being baptized, you have the Father speaking, and then you have the Spirit descending like a dove. So you see all three. You see Father, you see Son, you see Spirit. So you've got three there. It's not developed, but you see three distinctive things, uh, all being God. Right. Well, at the same time, Scripture affirms that God is one. 
uh, maybe in my mind, the most powerful statement of this, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, uh, the Shema, which kind of stands at the, one of those passages that stands at the heart of the Old Testament, the heart of Israel's identity and belief uh, that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You get that there, that Israel is monotheists, that they believe in one God. And the reason that stands at the heart of really all of Scripture in general, particularly of the Old Testament, of the law of Israel, is because every other nation was polytheist. You had multiple gods. Israel was different. They were unique because they believed in one God. Uh, you see that Mark 12, 29, Galatians 3, 20, Ephesians 4, 6. You want to go look those up. Other places where we talk about the oneness of God. We think of Ephesians 4. You have this list of all these one things, right? We've got one God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where you get those kind of raw ingredients. You see scripture say, well, yeah, there's one God. But then you see these scenes, uh, these discussions throughout scripture, such as at Jesus' baptism, where you see uh, three uh, distinctions uh, within God. You see Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, but like I said, Scripture doesn't begin to piece those together. It doesn't develop for us a cohesive theology of the Trinity. That comes uh, later on in the history of uh, early Christianity. And interestingly, and we've mentioned this in past episodes, the reason that early Christians eventually had to bre- begin to bring these ingredients together uh, is one, to fight people from the outside that would accuse Christians of being polytheists, believing in multiple gods. They had to have some way to explain to people on the outside, no, we believe in a Father, Son, and Spirit, but we're also monotheists. We believe in one God. Uh, but that's coupled with, we've talked about how in their worship, right? We talked about Jesus being fully God, and he had to be fully God because he's worthy of worship. We talked about how in worshiping Jesus, they had to figure out, well, how are we worthy of worshiping Jesus? Well, in worship, when you mention Father, Son, and Spirit, you know, that makes people have to sit down and kind of figure out, well, we worship Father, Son, and Spirit, but yet we believe in one God. How does that work? So it's even internal trying to figure out and explain and understand the worship that they were offering, how you can have three and yet one. Uh, But because Scripture doesn't explicitly develop, that makes it difficult. The other reason, going back to points that we've made before, is that God is beyond our human comprehension. God as God means we can't fully understand who God is. I've said this before. If, if we could fully explain and understand God, then God wouldn't be God. For God to be God means that we can't fully comprehend him. And because of that, we can't fully understand the Trinity because the Trinity is the very nature of God. If you can't understand fully understand God, you can't fully understand the Trinity. So we're never going to be able to fully understand. Uh, we're never going to be able to adequately explain the true I nature of God. I, I actually like something that you and I said when we were uh, getting ready to record this afternoon about how uh, every explanation of the Trinity is at least a little heretical. <laughs> and so what we're trying to do is find the least heretical way to explain the Trinity of God, because any way of explaining it falls up short and doesn't adequately or fully 
explain how God is three and one. And the reason is because God is beyond us. Our human language, any uh, metaphor uh, or illustration of God's nature is at some point going to fall apart. Uh, It's just kind of figuring out which one can hold on the longest before it falls apart. And that's the one we're going to hold on to until we find something better. And that's just kind of what we're stuck with, which makes it difficult because we've got to try to pull the ingredients we see in scripture together and to explain God in a way that doesn't fully to explain an unexplainable God, which makes this entire conversation easy and why we have to put simple in quotation marks. There you go. Yeah. And that'll, should we end the podcast there? Yeah. Just that, that, (laughs) that's it. That's all we've got. It's as best as we can do. Uh, I, I think the biggest part of what you talked about there was there isn't really a home base. We have, we have pieces of it and, you know, take other topics, whatever that may be baptism or, you know, whatever, there are tons of verses, but there are kind of home bases that really lay out mm-hmm. arguments and connection, connecting points and all of that. Where with this, it's like, okay, you read it and you go, yeah, okay, something's there, but that's not really what Matthew's point is with that passage. He's just letting us know this thing that's happening, but that's not the the major point. So we just kind of move on or you have the statements of God is one. Okay, great. Can you elaborate? No, you can't elaborate. You're going on to something else. Like that, that's what we've got, and that's what makes a lot of this difficult. Uh, trying to put those pieces together uh, without really being able to put those pieces uh, together, and so we'll try to find the best way to do that as much as possible. Uh, I think we're going to start by looking at some options that are not options. Uh, things that have been attempted as explanations and they just fall very short or get into the too heretical kind of spot. Spencer, you want to go into uh, how people have tried to balance God's oneness uh, and his has threeness and uh, fallen short on uh, that attempt? Yeah, so the Trinity is, in essence, it's our belief that God is three and one. And so when you begin to talk about the Trinity— uh, any discussion of God's threeness, which I'm not exactly sure is a word, it's it one of those today. interesting things. In word, it underlines it as misspelled, uh, but in okay. Google Docs, it doesn't. And so Google thinks it's a word. Microsoft does not think it's a word. So I don't know if threeness is a word or not, but we'll go with it. Any discussion of God's threeness, God is Father, Son, and Spirit has to be spoken of in a way that doesn't diminish or deny God's oneness and vice versa. We we have to speak of God being one without compromising God being three, and we have to speak of God being three without compromising God being one, which mm. just adds to the difficulty of trying to explain the, the, the trinity of finding that balance. We can't lean too far one way or too far the other way. And when you look throughout the history of Christianity— at heresies involving the Trinity, false teaching about the Trinity, they all have to do with leaning more to one side than the other, favoring God's oneness instead of his threeness or God's threeness at the expense of his oneness. That's where heresies and false teachings come in. So in this discussion, we have to be very careful 
not to fall too far to one side or the other, but make sure that we balance the two. And so some examples historically of falling to one side or the other, the most common one is what's called modalism, which was the rejection of the distinctions in the Godhead of the threeness of God in favor of God's oneness. So modalism says that there's one God who exists just or who exists or acts in three modes, three kind of modes of being, the mode of father, the mode of son, the mode of spirit. And throughout the history of Christianity, that has been rejected as heresy of saying that that does not adequately represent the distinctiveness of father, son, and spirit of being three distinct, three unique, I don't want to say beings, but that's almost you have the idea in the threeness of God. It's not just one existing in three modes. I've heard people actually teach, not knowingly, this heresy by sure. explaining something like, uh, let's say you, you have a guy who uh, is, uh, you know, father and teacher and coach. And so he exists in those three modes. And at some time when he's at home, he's in the mode of the father. Uh, when he's uh, at school in the classroom, he's the mode of teacher. When he's on the field, he's the mode of coach. So you've got one man, three modes. That's modalism. That's problematic because it denies the distinctive threeness of God. In that kind of an illustration, it's very difficult to have Jesus' baptism, where the Son's being baptized, right. the Spirit's descending, and the Father's speaking, all happening at the same time. In a modalist view, that can't happen because there's not enough distinction in the three parts of God. And so that's favoring the oneness. Um, favoring the threeness of God, you get uh, two historical heresies. One is what's called subordinationism, which denies the equality between Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, for example, it would subordinate the Son to the Father. So the Father would be kind of like the only true real God, and the Son is just kind of God, but not not really. He's in some way subordinate to the Father, not on equal level of Godness. Maybe even uh, we've we talked about some of this when we were talking about uh, Jesus being fully human and fully God, that, you know, some have tried to claim that Jesus was just a human being who was kind of elevated to a special level to fulfill God's purpose. We talked about why that doesn't work. God Jesus has had to be fully God or the whole salvation thing falls apart. But to try to find the distinctive threeness, but yet have one God, some have said, well, you do have one God and that's the father. And then you have these other beings that are close, but not on the same level. They're lower gods, lower spiritual beings, maybe like you'd think of an angel, something like that. Um, but they're not equal with God. So that's how you get one, but three. And that's problematic because that's very close to having three gods, which is the next point that we're going to make. But that also destroys the salvation that we talked about in the last episode that Jesus had to be fully God, not just partially God, but fully God, where all that salvation stuff falls apart. The other yeah. is just simply 
tritheism, attention to the threeness of God at the expense of the oneness resulting in three distinct gods. Some have fallen so far to wanting to maintain God being three that you completely lose God's oneness and you end up with three gods. So we end up being polytheists. You have three distinct gods and no oneness. And so that's what we have to be careful of, not falling one way to another. We tend to have the tendency not of falling too much towards the threeness. Most of us don't speak in a way that's close to subordination or tritheism, polytheism, but we do have that risk of modalism, of falling into the emphasizing God being one so much that we don't leave any room for the existence of the the three distinctions within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit. So starting out, we need to just be aware of tendencies that we have, tendencies historically that people have had, of falling to one side or the other and try as best as we can, and we're going to fail at this, but as best as we can to stay in the middle and balance the three and the one. Yeah, that's the the way that I always heard it described, and to the credit of those that taught it this way, most of them added the caveat at the end, but and trying to describe the Trinity using, uh, it's like water, solid, liquid, gas, it exists in those three modes, states, however you would say that. Um, but then, to their credit, they would say, except it's all three of those things at the same time and just the one like it is such a hard it's such a hard thing to try to illustrate uh with with the words that we have uh, again that that uh, statement from before of we can't understand god there are going to be things that we don't fully get that's part of what makes god a god that's part of what being a god is is uh, not being understood uh, fully by the created things so uh, adding to our simplicity here spencer's going to throw a bunch of huge words at us uh when we were going through the notes for this that's the first thing that he said was yeah there's some words in here that are pretty big so i'm going to leave this to you to to simplify for us in as brief a way as possible, quote unquote, on both of those. And simple. Uh, the historical trinity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this Simplify is, it for us. The, the, I'm, I'm going to make Go everything ahead. simple right here. Uh, by do. saying that the Father, <laughs> Son, and Spirit are homoousios. I, What's I, that? I, I hope that simplifies everything forever. Homoousios. Bless you. Um, now let me try to explain <laughs> what that means. Um, so... The way that I like to talk about the Trinity is the way that uh, the church historically has talked about it, where the way that Christianity historically uh, has explained the Trinity. And the reason is because the church over 2,000 years has kind of accepted this as not a sufficient way, but the best way, going back to what we said earlier, the least heretical way to talk about um, the Trinity. And not only would I agree with that, but I also think that there's something to say and some power given to when 2,000 years of history and a lot of people who are a lot smarter than every single one of us have said, yeah, th this is about as good as we can get. 
I think there's something to that. And so I want to try to use that historical language. And that's where we get the word homoousios. And uh, because this is brief, I won't get into where we get that language from. Maybe we'll do that in a follow-up episode at some point. You can Google it. Feel free. But uh, homoousios it, yeah. <laughs> uh, means get get on Wikipedia. Uh, there's a good Wikipedia article on it. Um don't cite Wikipedia in a paper, but it it's good otherwise. Anyways, homoousios means that the Father, Son, <laughs> and Spirit are each of the same usia. Uh, and usia means essence or be- being. And that's where homoousios, homo meaning the same uh, usios, usia, the same usia, the same essence, the same being that is that the Father, Son, and Spirit together create the essence of God. And the essence of God is what constitutes God as God. Uh, without God's essence, God ceases to be God. So an example of something that is a part of the essence of God is love. John tells us that God is love. Love is part of the essence of God. You take out love, God's no longer God. If you're talking about some being that doesn't have God, that being that that doesn't have love, that being can't be God. Because a part of God's essence, a part of what makes God God is love. And so historically it's been said that the Father, Son and Spirit are part of what makes up the very essence of God, part of what constitutes God as God. And so in other words, without the Trinity, God ceases to be God. You take out the Father, you take out the Son, you take out the Spirit, and you no longer have God. You've got something different. And that's distinctive from things that are outside of the essence of God. Uh, to try not to make this too complicated, uh, um, an example that I like to use is creation. Uh, God as uh, creator is not a part of God's essence because... That would mean that God wouldn't have been God prior to creation, right? Because the essence makes God, God. You don't have it. You don't have God. And so you have things that God does, like God as creator. That's right for us to say. But we can't tie that to God's essence because then without a creation, God would have ceased to be God. And so we have to make a distinction between rightful characteristics of God, like God as creator, God is Redeemer. That is who God is because God has done those things. But that's not a part of God's essence. God would still be God if he hadn't redeemed the world. God would still be God if he hadn't created the universe uh, because God's essence stays intact. God still would have been love even without creating anything. God still would have been God because he would have been made up of Father, Son, and Spirit, having not created or not redeemed or anything like that. And so... That's been the historical way to talk about the threeness of God, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're all of the same essence. They all together make up the essence, the core of who God is. Um, and so that you get the threeness there with the oneness, right? Because you have one God. You have one essence, one usia, uh, that is made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the distinction within the Godhead is the assertion that this one usia, this one essence, 
this one being of God is three hypostases is the there's your other there's a your third big word um, <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> which is the plural of hypostasis so you have the hypostasis of father hypostasis of son hypostasis of spirit which so together you have three hypostases there's some english for you which none of this was originally in english that's why you get some crazy words there um <laughs> but the hypostases refer to the three persons or subjects that's kind of the meaning of the word of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So historically, it's been said you have three persons, three subjects. So they are distinctive. You don't get into modalisms of one acting in three modes, but three distinct persons, three distinct subjects, all of which share the same essence and all of which come together to make up the essence, the core of God, without which God is not God. And so you have the oneness in one essence, one God, but that essence is constituted. It's made up of three distinct persons, three distinct subjects, all of which share and make up the same essence of who God is. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody, but that They'll email us. is honestly the best way <laughs> Of striking the balance is, and now that I think about it, we'll probably do an episode after this on the essence of God. That may be helpful uh, to delve into that yeah, idea uh, a little more. I've I've got some material on that, but you've got the one essence, which is what makes God God, and within that essence are these three persons, three three subjects that all make up the essence of who God is. And so you've got the oneness, you've got the threeness that come together and make God, God. And the thing that I want to emphasize, because this is going to be important in where we're wanting to go, how we're wanting to build on this episode is that because the father, son and spirit is three distinct persons, three distinct subjects, all which share and make up the essence of God and the essence of God being what constitutes God as God. I said that. So without the Trinity, God ceases to be God. That That's if you get anything from this, that's the point that I want to make is that without the Trinity, without the distinct father, son, and spirit sharing the same essence, you don't have God. And that's going to be important for some of the stuff that we're wanting to build upon this episode is making sure that we understand if we make the three no longer one or the one no longer three, you no longer have God. You have something else. And so holding on to that balance in the way that we talk about God, particularly in a coming episode, the way we talk about Jesus, who was fully God and not trying to separate him from the Godhead, but more to come on that. Yep. Well, so be looking forward to that as we uh, do another episode, kind of uh, expanding on those things in maybe more or less simple way and uh, a less brief way. I'm trying my best. Expanding. I'm trying. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I, I, I tried my best not to even do this episode. Like, do we have to talk about the Fair Trinity? Enough. And I decided, yes, 
we do as complex and then we'll talk about it more as it is we've got to got to address it can't hide from it forever well hopefully this last part here uh, helps to bring everything uh, around to a uh, a satisfying uh, kind of uh, conclusion to this particular probably not well, we'll see. I'm just gonna leave people uh, the more relationship, <laughs> the relationship between uh, the father, the son, and the spirit. How do we, how do we, uh, how do we describe that relationship, and how do we talk about it in light of everything else we've discussed today? So, typically, at least when I hear people talk about the Trinity, specifically the distinctiveness between Father, Son, and Spirit, I've heard. And I would assume that many of you have probably heard people make distinctions of the father's the one that does this, the son does this, and the spirit does this. They have distinctive and individual roles uh, within the God's plan for the world, God's plan of salvation, what God's doing in the world, that kind of thing is normally a part of how people want to talk about the Trinity. And generally, that's not a bad thing to do. Uh, the descriptions that I'm using, um, I'm taking from uh, Joe Jones' systematic theology. So I, I didn't come up with these on my own, but I, I think they do a good job. He says that generally the father can be referred to as the creator or the covenant maker. In other words, generally we see the father working in the role of creator. Go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. The covenant maker, God, God the Father, generally we see him covenanting with people, uh, Israel, Abraham, Moses, David, uh, God putting into motion the events to establish the new covenant, right? So generally you can think about the Father as creator, covenant maker. Uh, the Son, he says, is the encountering reconciler. So encountering we have the idea of the incarnation, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, we've talked about before how we only truly know God through Jesus. Jesus is the fullness, the culmination of God's revelation to us. We only know God based upon what God reveals to us. And the pinnacle of God's revelation to us, the definitive self-revelation of God, is in Jesus when he literally came and encountered us, walked and talked with humanity. So the encountering reconciler, what Jesus did through his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, is reconcile us back to God by dealing with that problem of sin and death. Go back to the, uh, I guess it would have been two episodes ago when we talked about what happened at the cross, theories of atonement, uh, how Jesus went about reconciling us to God by solving that problem of sin and death. So we would say that the Son is the encountering reconciler, and the Spirit is generally uh, the life-giving uh, and life-renewing Redeemer. So we're promised that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are baptized into Christ, are filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit does its work on us to produce, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The, the Spirit is what transforms us. It gives us life. It renews us as the people of God to produce uh, these fruits in our lives. So generally, 
The Father, Creator, Covenant Maker, the Son, Encountering Reconciler, the Spirit, the Life-Giving and Life-Renewing Redeemer. However, none of these take place in isolation uh, from the other two parts of the Trinity, the other two hypostases, to use one of the big words uh, that I used uh, earlier. And so while generally we can talk about some distinctive roles that the parts of the Trinity take in God's plan and God's relation with the world, none of those roles are in complete isolation from the other two parts of the the Trinity. So, for example, I think about creation. Uh, The Father can be referred to as the primary creator, though the Father didn't create the universe in isolation from the Father uh, or from the Spirit and the Son. We see uh, that creation was made in conjunction with the Spirit. Uh, Genesis 1 and verse 1, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Uh, Genesis 2 and verse 7, we see God uh, breathing into human brings the breath or the spirit of life. We'll probably talk about that in another episode. I, I think uh, that is referring to the Spirit of God, what we would call the Holy Spirit. But we see the role of the Spirit in the creation Uh, We see the role of the Son in the creation. John chapter 1, we're told that nothing that has been made was made without the Son. That Jesus, the Son, the Word that became flesh, played a role in the creation. And so while we might want to refer to the Father as the primary creator, the Father still created alongside the Spirit and the Son. They had a role in that. And that's true from anything that we want to say about Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Additionally, kind of along those lines, those three parts of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit can be said to be, another big word, interanimated in that they live in loving relationship and loving unity with one another as not to be separated. In other words, God is not God without the interanimation of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So while you've got these three, not only are they one of the same essence, but they're one in that they're unified, and the unity between them is a unity of love. Love exists between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we've talked about that before, talking about love being kind of the central characteristic of God. Not only does Scripture only ever say that God is one thing, that God is love, but that love is the only thing that exists within the very trinity of God, that the Father, Son, and the Spirit love one another. They love exists between. They're bound together. They're unified in their love for one another. So not only are they of the same essence— Not only do they make up the essence of God, but they exist in this loving union with one another. It's almost like uh, it's it's kind of similar to at risk of all the risk of avoid being a heretic uh, (laughs) illustrations. Maybe I shouldn't get this, but it's close you know, you talk about the idea of a husband and a wife becoming one flesh in marriage. Sure. How that love-ving relationship bonds them together in a special way. You have that between 
the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, again, that's you take that too far, you get to tritheism. Uh, so sure. don't do that. But the idea of how uh, I think that can help us think about how a loving relationship can bond things together, can unify things together in a special way. And you have that going on uh, between the Father, Son, and Spirit. So that's, again, just a way of trying to strike that balance, right? We You see the distinctiveness and being able to say, yeah, the Father's generally the creator, the Son, the reconciler, the Spirit, the life giver, but they don't happen in isolation. So you see that distinctiveness, but it's still one in that they're all participating in all these different things going on. One just may be the primary, but they're all having a role and they all exist in this loving union with one another so as not to be separated at the same time. And so that's just another way for us to try to think about and try to balance out the threeness and the oneness by thinking about how God actually acts as Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah, kind of distinctive, but all three parts play a role. But at the same time, all three roles act in loving union with one another that binds them together as one uh, in loving harmony, uh, loving unity. So uh, you're probably more confused now than when you started listening most likely. Um, you probably think you know less about God than you did when you Me started. Somebody else. I'm pretty good at doing that. Um, <laughs> if you ever need someone to destroy your view of something, just send me an email. I'll be happy to do that for you. But I, try, I tried to make it as brief and as simple as we could. Um, even if and you, we'll add to it here in some future episodes. Yes, and even if most of this... Didn't make sense. That's fine. I'm hoping you got some of the bigger concepts because that's kind of, that's the point of us not only wanting to, what we're wanting to do in building upon this in future episodes, but also just, I think when it comes to our understanding of God and as people who love and want to follow God, I think it's important for us to strive and understand him as best as we can with the knowledge that we're always going to fall short. But thinking this way, thinking particularly about how do we balance the three and one, I think is very helpful for us to begin to understand and think about God better, which I think brings us into a deeper relationship with God. It's hard to develop a relationship with someone that you don't know. So the better we know God, the better we can begin to develop our relationship with him. And I think thinking about the three, the one, is an important step in that direction, even though we can't fully understand it. All of our illustrations are going to fall short, and it's complex. It's something that we can't hide from, even though I tried to for a long time, and then we finally had to do this episode. Uh, but it, it, like I said, I, I think this is an important step, and at least moving us more in a direction of developing our knowledge and relationship with God. Nothing more to add other than this is uh, this is probably a very good episode in keeping with the spirit of what uh, thinking theologically is all about. Sometimes it's not going to be all of that clear cut. That's okay. Uh, it's worth wrestling with some of these things that are more difficult. Uh, ultimately, uh, it does give us a better understanding uh, or at least a, a better description of some of these things. 
that we believe, and it gives us uh, a better understanding of how these uh, various issues have been interpreted or struggled with uh, throughout uh, our, uh, I'll say Christian history, but I mean history of God's people uh, from the beginning in some of these cases. So uh, if you have thoughts that you'd like to add, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you uh, about this episode or future episodes uh, and past ones as well. Happy to listen to all that too. You can also reach both of us on Facebook and send us uh, messages. We'll talk and share those things with each other and maybe on here. And of course, you can get uh, with the, the resident theologian in training there on, on Twitter as well uh, for some of his great tweets or... Not so great tweets. By the way, I'm going to challenge you to use one of your big words that you talked about here uh, in a tweet. Get back to me on that, about how that goes. One of the three big ones. Or threeness. We'll say one of the four big ones that you used today. I, I Ask if threeness is a word. I Put can, it out to Twitter. Let's see what we get. I can do that. Google says, I, I, I trust Google. Google <laughs> says it's a word. All right. Well, until next time, when we talk a little bit more about the Trinity, uh, we'll we'll be back here in a couple weeks, unless horrible things happen. But even then, we don't plan on taking a break, not for a while anyway. So, I'm Jack. That's Spencer. And we'll catch you next time.